Welcome to The Human Huddle with me, Hazel Morley, and my friend, Ray Gorkroger. Two great friends connected across the Atlantic by great conversations aimed to encourage, to inform, and to entertain both us and you. Happy Monday, Ray. Oh, that sounds like the name of a band from the 1980s. <laughs> Happy Monday to you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, yes. And uh, that makes me smile, actually, because, you know, if we look back at some of our conversations, we have referenced bands from the 80s and 90s quite a bit. There's a bit of a thread going on, but yeah, uh, yeah I agree. But it is a happy Monday because the sun has been shining in the UK, which has meant that I've had an opportunity to go and dig some soil in a therapeutic way in the garden. And um, I have one exciting thing on the horizon this week, which is I get to go and have my vaccine, my first dose of vaccine on Friday. So um, I just hope I'm not going to be poorly as a consequence, but fingers crossed. Mm. how's your week been well it's just starting um but the last few weeks have been really productive actually so i'm looking forward to to this week because we have also have a good forecast for weather so but the last few weeks have been yeah really interesting i've had a couple of conversations um about volunteering work because I decided at the beginning of the year that I wanted a new volunteering opportunity so I applied to an organization here it's an international organization called Dress for Success and this is the Vancouver chapter and we were having a conversation very recently about mentoring and that is hopefully going to be something that I will be doing for them um, mentoring the mentors actually rather than the mentees um, and in the last couple of months I've also had a similar conversation with another organization the Princess Trust here in Canada hmm. I'm a mentor for them as well and they were asking me about mentoring versus coaching so that has got me thinking and I'd love to hear your thoughts because I know that um, you did a qualification recently and you are a coach so I think I was just really curious in terms of how we would define mentoring and how it's similar to or different to coaching and then of course there's counseling as well you know so mm. it's just something that's kind of top of mind at the moment for me mm. um, given I where think, I'm at with my work right now. Yeah I think those terms often get used interchangeably mm. um, and you're right I did do um, it's a level seven qualification in leadership coaching and mentoring and we did have to really kind of tease out the differences between what is coaching what is mentoring and what are some of the differences um, of the benefits if you like be between those two different um approaches supports whatever you want to call them interventions and um i probably went through a cycle of thinking i was really clear and then the lines got blurry again so given that i've been in deep on this one and i'm not sure that i have 
total clarity if we look kind of at definitions and there are lots of different definitions out there um coaching is i'm going to use one that i used in an assignment that i had to do um so this comes from julie star in 2016 she says coaching is a relationship of rapport and trust in which the coach uses their ability to listen to ask questions and to play back what the client has communicated to help the client to clarify what matters to them and to work out what to do to achieve their aspirations. So a couple of things that really stand out for me there in that first sort of sentence are about rapport and trust. So the relationship is, is kind of really important there, but it's kind of more focused on the coach facilitating the thinking of the coachee uh, and them coming to their own conclusions and solutions for things. So I didn't know um, how that fits with your understanding of coaching. The piece around facilitating the coachee's thinking so that they can come to their own conclusions, decisions, actions, totally um, fits. And the more I've got into my coaching in a thinking environment, which we can talk a little bit more about later if, if that's helpful, um, the more I get into that kind of work, um, that's definitely what we do. You know, it's, our questions are all in service of keeping the coachee thinking well for themselves as themselves rather than directing or influencing the coach's thoughts with questions that we're curious about that we think is going to take them to where we think you know they should go yeah one of the things thinking about it now um is as a coach it's possible to coach anybody on anything because the coachee owns the content. They're mm. always the content expert. Whereas um, my job, if you like, and your job as a coach is to create the environment, to hold the space, to allow them to do their best thinking um, without necessarily um, understanding the complexity or the expertise you know, if I'm working with somebody who's a marketing director, well, I'm not a marketing director, you could say, well, how can you coach somebody on something that you know nothing about? Um, but one approach to coaching, and I think you use this um, in time to think, is about working content free. You don't even necessarily need to have a response from the coachee they can be doing all of that work inside the head is that right absolutely yeah and one of the things we're really really careful about is attention and giving our attention to the coachee while they're thinking even when they are silent because recognizing that when somebody's not saying something it doesn't mean that their thinking has stopped so if you jump into that silence and interrupt that silence, you're interrupting their thinking. Um, so absolutely, as a thinking environment coach, um, 
what's really important for us is, as you say, being able to create the conditions so that somebody like a coachee can think well for themselves and find their own ideas, solutions, thoughts, and express them. And it's like without us being the person giving the attention and, and creating those conditions, they wouldn't be able to think as well by themselves or under different conditions. So we are kind of really essential and also maybe irrelevant occasionally at the same time. I'm often irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna say that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that if we think about that as a coach, and I think probably we're quite aligned on our thinking. And, and just as an aside, really, if I thought that I had to have all the answers to somebody else's deeply complex and knotted spaghetti of problems, that would be a huge amount of pressure uh, on me as a coach. And actually, that would make me think that I had to have the best answers, if you like, whereas the client always has the best answers. I might have some things I could offer them um, that might prompt some different thinking, um, but it would feel quite arrogant to, to suppose that I had all the answers. Yeah, um, time to think, as you know, is Nancy Klein's work. And this is one of her words that I want to throw out because I remember the first time I came across it, I'd, I'd never heard it before, but she would say that's very infantilizing. Very infantilizing to suggest that you are the expert and that you have the answers. You know, what is important is that we trust that the person that we're with is resourceful, is intelligent, can find their way to their solution. But what they need is some support and some, you know, certain ways of being from us that kind of enables them to do that. And I think I like that about, I like that kind of paradigm, I guess, that you and I hold when we're doing this work, because I think it allows us to relax knowing that we can't possibly know what's right or what's best for the other person. So we can relax into creating that environment that you mentioned earlier. So, so where we started with that, well, sorry. It was, yeah, no, was go ahead. That distinction, wasn't it, between, well, what's coaching and what's mentoring? Mm. Um, and I was just starting to wonder, you know, if I go to a definition then, official definition, this comes from the Chartered Management Institute. It talks about um, mentoring is a form of employee development whereby a trusted and respected person, the mentor, uses their experience to offer guidance, encouragement and support to another person, i.e. the mentee. And so what stands out for me as different in that definition is it does feel like there's a level of prior knowledge and experience and expertise that's held by the mentor and this is more about imparting and sharing that for the benefit perhaps in a um, you know a work setting for the benefit of the mentee that that stands out as the distinguishing factor if you like 
Yeah, I agree with you, actually. I think you're probably more likely to be called on your for your expertise and asked for input when you're in a mentoring relationship than a coaching relationship. But of course, it all comes down to expectation and, and you know, contracting and how you've set it up in the first place. And I know that when I was, um, I had a relationship, a mentoring relationship with the Princess Trust last year. And we got to a point where I couldn't offer my mentee anything more than I'd already offered because I had got to the limit, if you like, of my experience with what, with his outcome in terms of where he wanted to take his business and what he wanted from me. And we both agreed we were kind of cycling a bit now, you know, going round around the same thing, maybe in a slightly different direction. And, um, and so we very graciously both said, look, I think, you know, what you need now, or he said, what I think I need is this. And I said, yeah, I agree. And I'm not the right person to continue. So we kind of ended that relationship. And it, to me, it still felt good because, you know, I had to recognize that there was no, nothing more that I could offer in that instance. And I think I go into mentoring relationships, perhaps with a little more anticipation than I do with a coaching relationship for that very reason, because I feel like there's more of an expectation from my partner if it's a mentee. Mm. What are your experiences of, of being a mentor? Yeah, I think um, sometimes the lines are blurred a little bit and I know that when I coach um, that I bring a lot of ideas and frameworks and different ways of thinking into that for the benefit, if you like, of the individual, um, but that it's not imposed. I'm not teaching or holding the expertise. It's more about bringing those ideas in in order to help them with their thinking. Uh, and I have sort of queried that with myself at times about, hang on a minute, is this the right thing to be doing? But I think it comes back to intention, uh, which is about helping them to do some different thinking. I suppose it's the goes back, doesn't it, to the Einstein quote around the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Mm. And often when a client comes to you or to me or to whoever um it's because they have been doing that kind of cycling round and not getting a different outcome um and that they're looking for um some space and a different perspective and some prompts for um a new way of thinking so then the other thing you mentioned hazel earlier was about counseling and um what, you know what is that how does that fit or not fit alongside mentoring and coaching and one of the things I always say when I'm doing that contracting at the start of a formal coaching relationship is I'm not a counsellor <laughs> and um, I say that because it manages the expectations and I'm really clear but for me coaching and mentoring is very sort of future forward focused it's it's about doing things differently from here on in and isn't necessarily a reflection or uh, an exploration of what's gone before 
So I perceive counselling as a backwards looking kind of historic delve and that may or may not be right. So I wanted to know what you <laughs> what you think. Yeah, I've mentioned counselling when we were um, offline, as it were, when we were having a little chat earlier about it. Um, and I have had experience of mentoring, I've had experience of coaching and I've had experience of counselling, both on the receiving and the giving end. And I do think that it is quite different. I agree with you. Whenever I've had counselling or even when I've been offering counselling still, they used to do, um, I used to be a um, telephone counsellor when I lived in the UK with uh, Childline. Mm. And, you know, you are very much looking at either the present issue or something from the, from the past rather than kind of future in terms of timing anyway I think you spend much more time past focused rather than future focused um, and I think for me there's a it's more about diagnosis in in some ways as well um, and I really think as a counsellor you're seen as somebody with more authority and maybe because it's licensed maybe because it's regulated in a way that coaching and mentoring isn't I think if you have any kind of mental health challenges, you're much more likely to go and look for a counsellor. And that would be more appropriate than if you were a mentor or a coach. And I, and I can remember several, well, maybe not several, but at least two clients come to mind from the past when I was coaching. And it became apparent that what they really needed was a referral to a counsellor. And I think even when you have some skill, some experience, when you haven't set yourself up in that role to begin with, or you're not fully qualified, it's really dangerous to step over the boundary, isn't it? So to be really clear, as you say, up front about what this relationship is and how you can help and what it, is, what it isn't. Um, because, yeah, I find counselling much more retrospective. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I did. I have had a couple of clients now. You've made me think about that um, who actually were having counselling alongside coaching. And those two things they said worked really well for them. And I mm. think one enabled them to access the other more um, productively and beneficially because um, I did wonder at the time whether that was a bit of, you know, had the um, possibility of being overwhelming if you were running counselling alongside coaching. But in both instances, they talked really positively about the two working really well together. Um, the other thing that came into my mind um, just then was really about how long these things go on for if you like and how formal or informal they are and um, one of the things that uh, I talked about in this um, assignment that I had to do that was very painful to do it but it was good <laughs> is that um, the uh, losing my thread here now that um, it was just sorry I've got I'm back on track it was to do with culture and kind of coaching culture and you know we we've kind of been talking about when we do coaching and that's when we've been contracted in 
um, perhaps by a client or an organisation and maybe it's for a fixed period of time and that there is that selection of the coach and the chemistry fit and the contracting that happens and an agreement about how many sessions at least we're going to start with and, and all of that, the kind of protocols and the code of ethics and everything that sits around it when you're doing it with good practice. Um, but of course, it doesn't need to be like that. It can be um, really informal. Um, and I think actually there's huge value in, you know, bumping into somebody in a corridor and having a conversation where one person in effect acts as the coach, you know, got a problem with this and then the conversation starts and these coaching conversations that happen throughout organisations and that doesn't necessarily need the person who's in effect acting as the coach to have any um, qualifications or training. They just need to be predisposed, if you like, to helping and facilitating the other person without necessarily um, providing with them with the answers. And that kind of links into the whole culture of an individual or a team or an organisation. And I know that it's something that's um, talked about and aspirational uh, for lots of organisations currently. I want to ask a question there, listening to what you've said, that's really interesting. And I agree about the ad hoc, unplanned coaching conversations that can be very helpful. So uh, this is where I think the lines can get blurred, though. So that could also be a mentoring conversation, could it not? And if it could, does that then depend on who this person is? that makes the difference between how we label this process. And does it even matter? Does the label even matter? Because this is what I was, this is why I was starting to think about this and why I want to talk to you about it today, because these conversations I've been having in the past have really stretched me to get clear about when I'm asked about mentoring, when I'm asked to be a mentor, and when I talk about it, how is it different from coaching and, and counselling and is there more similarity than there is difference and does it depend on expectations so for example let's take your what you just said you bump in, into the you know you're in the corridor you bump into somebody and a, and a conversation starts could that be a mentoring conversation absolutely yeah and there needs to be no kind of formal agreement like hang on a minute like, I need to stop this conversation here because now I'm mentoring yeah. it, it can just be incidental and some people are more naturally predisposed if you like to to having that approach you know sharing expertise and encouraging and nurturing others um, in an informal way but I think the other thing is that the benefits accrue to both the mentor and the mentee. And maybe this is maybe when it's slightly more formalized in that it can be, um, a, you know, it can be in a, a formal part of a role recognized and valued in an organization. Um, and it can really help with motivation and engagement and a sense of 
fulfillment when we're sharing that expertise. Uh, I was working with a client and one of the things we were talking about was to do with corporate knowledge and actually when, uh, you know, for all the standard operating procedures and the manuals and the protocols that an organisation might have, actually there's a huge amount of corporate knowledge that's just retained within the heads of key individuals in an organization particularly when they've been there maybe for quite a long time and that there's a real challenge with um, retaining that learning of corporate learning corporate knowledge when people retire and move on and and how do you um, share that to the benefit of the individuals in the organization and the organization itself instead of just having it like a brain drain um, and it just walks out of the, the, the door it's there one day and it's literally gone the next and I think having an intentional mentoring program is a really great way of kind of capturing that corporate knowledge which is mm. huge value in an organization Absolutely. And that can become part of the culture too, can't it? I mean, we talk, I hear the phrase coaching culture mentioned much more than I do mentoring culture, but I often wonder as well whether some people think of a mentor as somebody who's more senior. So whether it's in age, whether it's in qualification experience, expertise, you know, somebody who has something that, you know, usually it's somebody that has, has been there, done it, worn the t-shirt or has had um, an experience that perhaps you want want to have um, they won't necessarily be more senior in terms of age or qualification but I wonder if that is most often the norm in an organization and then that led me to think about mentors that I've had when I've been an employee in an organization and there's one particular one who will remain nameless who while I learned a lot of really good things from this individual, I did also pick up a lot of her bad habits because what she was sharing with me and role modeling was the way that she does things that have worked really well for her. And I, because I wasn't thinking for myself while I was in this mentoring relationship, I was absorbing and just I kind of fell into that trap of thinking, well, here's this person that's more successful than me. She's more experienced than me. She did also happen to be older and, and you know, um, more senior in the organization. But that was, I wanted to be doing what she was doing. But actually what I realized almost too late, several years down the line, is I picked up a lot of her bad habits in terms of her work ethic. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, what are your thoughts around that, you know, in terms of who the mentor is, is likely to be and whether or not, have you had that experience where, you know, perhaps some of the bad stuff has been transferred as well as the good stuff? Um, I'm not sure that I have had that experience, but what struck me when you were saying that was that um, I'm not sure necessarily that the mentor always even knows that they're the mentor. Mm. So um, early on in my career, um, I was, you know, the new kid, very young in a very responsible role um, for Boots at head office. 
and the sea. I seem to be surrounded by real depth of experience and expertise and it was quite daunting and quite overwhelming and it's in my nature to kind of reach out to people and to try and help other people but to build networks for everybody's kind of mutual benefit and I, I identified one particular as you say older more senior <laughs> individual who I thought right he's in a great position I could really cultivate um, a good kind of mentor mentee relationship with this person and whilst I never formally asked please will you be my mentor I repeatedly kept going back to this person for input and advice and guidance and happily they were really generous with their time and sharing their expertise but I'm not sure that um, that person knew that I regarded him as my mentor um, so that's that's a a different take I suppose on it isn't it is that whilst it can be formal it can also be really informal and maybe not necessarily both parties even realize that the, they're in that relationship with each other. Mm. It's quite a responsibility though the more I think about it especially if you if you are in that position where you don't it's not a formally recognized role and or you don't realize that you know um that is part of the relationship it's quite a responsibility and i wonder as well when i think about the differences whether or not when you are offering yourself as a coach traditionally do you find that um a coach will hold the coachee accountable and steer them um, towards agreeing what actions or next steps they're going to take and by when and then like the next time they check in kind of there's a review on that and holding them accountable to have made some progress in a way perhaps that doesn't happen if it's a mentoring relationship. Well I know as a coach that is something that I would do um, and I suppose that's when I'm contracted in and it's a formal kind of coaching relationship. Maybe it doesn't happen if it is more kind of culturally based, ad hoc, spontaneous. It's just a conversation that we're having. I mean, I would hope that just, you know, out of interest, somebody would ask and check in the next time. Oh, how did it go? How did you get on when you, you know, we talked about this last time I saw you how's it going kind of thing I would hope that that would happen um and and maybe there's an element of uh with a mentoring relationship it kind of goes on for longer and maybe it links more to sharing technical expertise or specific skill based stuff and maybe it's not you know it's less perhaps about behavioral change and it's more about developing um, skills on an ongoing basis. So maybe, maybe you would still have a review point within that, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Mm. The more I get into it, the more, and I suppose this comes down to my personal experience that I alluded to, but also what I believe is um, an important way to be is to make sure that whatever role I'm in, whether it's the mentor or the coach, 
to really enable somebody to keep thinking well for themselves because I think otherwise there's a danger that we start deferring to this authority figure or this person that we perceive to be the one that has the answers that we're looking for and we stop thinking for ourselves mm. and sometimes I've heard people in organizations say it's just quicker it's just quicker if I tell them if I give them the information that they're asking for and what I know to be true from my work with the thinking environment is that actually when we are a bit more at ease and um, allow people time to think for themselves first before we add any input of our own which is something that you know you were saying at the beginning of this conversation as well and um, we actually save time in the long run yeah I mean it's you're making me think about the situational leadership model good old Hersey and Blanchard's model and mm. and it depends I suppose as to where the individual is up to in terms of their um, level of experience confidence and competence as to what the most appropriate kind of response is and the urgency slash um, risk associated with the current circumstances so kind of lots of different factors at play you know and there's the classic example you know if there's a fire in the building we don't want to be consulting and um, creating options and brainstorming how might we escape this fire somebody needs to take responsibility and be directive and and you know tell everybody to get out and as quickly as safely as possible um, in accordance with whatever the rules and regs are in that particular environment but um, you know sometimes it's about directing sometimes it's about coaching sometimes it's more supporting sometimes it's more delegating in the sort of true sense of handing over um, the what and the how that something has, has to be done so um, I think there are different approaches for different times, if you like, dependent on where an individual is at. And actually, experience and expertise and competence can vary. It's not that a whole person is either in the coaching uh, point, if you like, or in the directing point. It may be that it's variable. You know, I may have great experience and expertise in a particular field and and next to nothing in another and I need my hand holding and I need telling what to do a bit like it was with zoom in the early days of covid you know definitely needed my hand holding and just telling at that point um yeah so mm. um I don't know whether that's helped Hazel has it well it has yeah because I think I just wanted to be really comfortable about what I was signing up for and that it's okay if my approach is a little bit different to what's traditional that's okay because you know i want it to be the best experience that it can be for the person that i'm engaged with and i'm sure if we had another six seven people on this call with us we would probably get another six seven different versions of what it means to be a mentor coach and i think perhaps less so with counseling i think there's a little bit more clarity around what counseling is about and when that can be helpful but i think the lines are certainly more blurred with mentoring and coaching in a traditional sense um 
and you know yeah that's okay at the end of the day I think there's just lots of what you know it's really good that there's lots of helping modalities different approaches out there for people and um you know never more so than now do we need all these different resources with you know the pandemic and the the effects that the pandemic has had in fact I was going through some notes I often will listen to podcasts or read things and then I like to go back and write up key points in little journals and books and things and I was doing a bit of that over the weekend and I came across an HR firm Morneau Chappelle that had done a survey of 8,000 people and it was Canada, the States and the UK and one of the findings from this survey was that 60% and I wrote down 60% of Canadians would leave their current employer for less money if there was better support for their personal well-being. So in a way I think regardless of what we're calling it you know it's just so important that people feel that they've got um, resources to help them whether it's with engagement whether it's with you know organizational retention of the talent whether it's succession planning as we've mentioned or just people feeling supported that they can express themselves express their thoughts and their feelings and feel held while they do that without judgment and that makes me think about psychological safety but I think we should maybe talk about that another time yeah, that's a big topic in and of itself, isn't it? How we yeah. create psychological safety. And, you know, I can add to, to, to that by specific um, example of a number of people who um, in a client organisation were offered opportunities elsewhere uh, with significantly higher salaries and um, the conversations that took place about why they didn't pursue these other external opportunities all related really positively to the co co culture of the client my client the existing organization that where they were in where personal development was really important they felt engaged they felt heard they felt listened to and so they were turning down the big ticket salaries because actually um the the culture and the environment was the thing that they valued much more highly as a consequence so that was a real world backing up of those stats mm, that's great so if I we were to um, sorry go on go on you go no <laughs> you go i was just gonna say if we were to end this conversation with let's say a quote or a question or like something that you um that resonates with you that you enjoy what would what would that be that you could oh well I, I was thinking of a question I often ask um which is really helpful um in a coaching situation and um often people talk about you know oh well that's a problem this is a problem and uh, the question I often then ask is how is that a problem for you because if I stop at just hearing the problem, I assume that I understand all the implications and connotations of what that means for them, which is quite a dangerous place to be and is unhelpful to them. 
So I always um, ask that question and invariably it makes people really stop and think about, well, I'm saying it's a problem, but in what way specifically is it a problem? So there you go. That's that's my offering. Mm. How about you? I like that. Um, there's a question uh, that uh, came up in the time to think training that I was doing that I learned many years ago and it's a question that helps somebody um, face denial and I love it and it is what is staring you in the face that you are not seeing Ooh. what tends to happen when you ask that question uh, that's a really good question. Sometimes um, I get this kind of what I would say is a knitted eyebrows expression, you know, of kind of puzzled look from the other person like what? Because I think when it's so deeply buried, you know, as denial often is, you know, we are assuming that either something is that isn't or vice versa. Um, you know, something often is right in front of us, but we're not acknowledging it or seeing it then it's not something we recognize immediately. And, I, and so often people will say, can you ask me that again? Or I don't know what you mean. Or they want some time to think about the question. Because wow. I think it's one of those that really digs deep. What's staring you in the face that you're not seeing? And that's often a good clue as to how deep a question has landed with somebody when they're kind of, they they pause and they're really having to then think it's usually a sign of a question that's got to a, a knotty bit yeah yeah I, absolutely yeah Excellent. Well, go we're, we're both kind of like i don't know we're sort of struggling aren't we at the moment to um to not be talking over each other we're both being so polite here this morning <laughs> you go so I was just going to say it's been lovely to chat and I hope that that's been useful for you, but I also hope it's been useful for um, our listeners and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, likewise. No, it has been really helpful. Thanks for the chat, Ray. Speak to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Thanks for huddling with us. We look forward to connecting again over another conversation very soon.